The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this evening comes from Matthew 6, 24 to 33. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Hey God, thanks that you are good, that you are sovereign, and that you are working amongst us that you are worthy of our praise and that you have already purchased us with your blood, that we have been invited into your kingdom. Thanks that we don't have to have it figured out because you already have and that you love us unconditionally. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey guys, how are we doing? Good? Okay. So if we haven't met, uh, my name is Cole. I am on our leadership team here at Citizens, and kind of like Tim said, we're a brand new church plant. So we started our weekly gatherings in the beginning of January. So excited to get to be with you guys tonight. And if tonight is your first week, we're in the middle of a series on work. This idea that work is something we do as a means of glorifying God and joining Him in His mission. And so week one, we talked about this idea that we all need a story. That work doesn't actually fulfill us. We need the story of God. And then last week, Garrison talked about this idea of calling, that we all have a calling, and what does that look like in our jobs? And so tonight, we're going to kind of continue this series, and we're going to talk about two false beliefs or two false stories that we as Americans tend to buy into, right? And so one of these is this idea of work to live. Work to live is this idea that I just work my job to pay the bills, right? My favorite day is Friday because the weekend is here, and my least favorite day is Monday because I have to work all week. Don't really love my job, don't really care about it, it's not super important to me, but got to, just part of life. And then there's the other side of the spectrum, like a live to work. You love your job. You're passionate about it, you enjoy it, you don't mind working 60 hours a week because you genuinely just love it. You talk about work, you think about work, you read about work, everybody knows what you do. And so this week we're going to focus on this idea of living to work, and next week Tim's going to talk about working to live. 
And we did this because I tend to fall into this live-to-work category. That is my sinful bend. And so I was, as I was thinking about this idea of living to work, I came across this commencement speech by David Foster Wallace where he tells this story. And I think it explains it really, really well. So in this story, he talks about there's two young fish swimming in the ocean. And they're just ambitious young fish. They have their whole lives ahead of them. They're excited. They know everything, you know, like every 20-something-year-old does. And they're swimming through the ocean. And then this old fish, got some gray hair, swims by him. And he looks at him and says, hey, boys, how's the water? And they kind of keep swimming. They look at each other puzzled. Nobody says anything. And then finally, one of them looks at the other and goes, what's water? And I think, as ridiculous as that story is, we can do that in Charlotte. We live in a culture that is training us to make work God. But if we're not careful, if we don't realize that, we don't realize the water that we are swimming in, we start to believe these things, even though we've never consciously said, yeah, that's right, or that's wrong. And so we're going to talk about tonight kind of how that plays out in our lives. But there's also this article from The Atlantic from a few years back written by this guy named Derek Thompson. I just thought it was really fascinating. So Derek Thompson is not a Christian, doesn't subscribe to Jesus is good. And he wrote this quote about this idea of workism. And I think it's really helpful for where we are in our cultural moment. The decline of traditional faith in America has coincided with the explosion of new atheisms. Some people worship beauty, some people worship political identities, and others worship their children. But everybody worships something. And workism is among the most potent of the new religions competing for congregants. What is workism? It is the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but is also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purposes. Also the centerpiece of one's life and its purposes. I love that. That's such an interesting idea. And I think that what he's saying or what he's capturing is the ethos of our society says sacrifice for your job. It's everything. Give it your time. Give it your money. Give it your energy. Because your job, if you find the right job, that is what will fulfill you. Your job is supposed to be your life. But then we as Christians enter into this and we ask the question, how do we wrestle with that? Because work has become the uncontroversial religion of America, right? So what I mean when I say that is, if you're at a dinner table, you're probably not supposed to talk about politics or religion, right? Those are the taboo topics. But everybody, no matter who you are or what you do, when they first meet you, ask two questions. What's your name? And what do you do? Because what you do tells me everything I need to know about you, right? That's your status, that's your badge, that's how I know if you're successful, smart, worth my time. I would never say that because I'm way more polite than that, but it answers those questions. And so it has this uncontroversial statement of this is our new religion, this is our badge, this is our creed that we put ourselves in. And so today, I want to show us how we do this as believers. So like Rachel said, if you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew 6, We'll start in verse 24. So this is an excerpt of the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is one of Jesus' most famous 
sermons. Even if you've never heard of Jesus or never been around church, really, you've probably heard some things from this sermon. So he says things like, uh, don't hate your brother. If you're angry with him, then you hate him. You've murdered him. He says some crazy things about what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. But then he says something that should stick out to us and really pull us in. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will love the one will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So the word Jesus uses for money here is the Greek word mammon. Mammon. And money is not the best translation, if I'm being honest. Like, it can mean money, it can mean riches and prosperity, but a better translation would be success. You cannot serve both God and success. And so for some of us, success, money might be the answer to that question, right? Oh, I want a lot of money. But for others of us, it might be parenting, being a good parent, being the one that everybody goes to. It might be being the nice guy that everybody likes. Whatever your definition of success is, and Jesus says you cannot serve both God and success. So I have a dog. His name is Jasper. Uh, I call him my beautiful baby boy. That is... That is my nickname for him. He has blue eyes, most beautiful husky you've ever met. Um, and Jasper loves me. He loves me so much. And I, I am one of Jasper's favorite people. I really am. Like, I'm not trying to... I'm one of his favorite people. In fact, I'm not only one of his favorite people, I'm his second favorite person, right after my wife, Bethany, right? And 95% of the time, if I ask Jasper to do something, he does it. If I tap beside me, he comes and cuddles with me. If I tell him to walk inside, he walks inside. He's a very good listener. Except for when me and Bethany compete. If Bethany says, come sit beside me, and, De and I say, come sit beside me, I lose every single time. Because Jasper cannot serve two masters. <laughs> you thought it was random, didn't it? But it connected. So that is silly and absurd, and I know that, but here's how this might look in our lives. Jesus is saying, you can't have two priorities. At the end of the day, you have one, and it will answer, your second priority, your third priority will answer to your first. And so with Jasper, it might be easy. When you tap beside you, who does he go to? For us, it's a little bit more complicated, right? How do I actually know if success is my God? How do I know that that is my master? You know, it's easy to say we shouldn't do that, but what does it actually look like in my life if I'm choosing success over God? And so here are just some indicators that might show that you've made success into your God. Work decides your mood. If your job's going awesome, you're doing awesome. Everybody loves you. You're the best person to be around. You're so giving. You're so generous. You're the, the most fun guy. But if work's going terrible, don't want to be around you, right? I mean, life is terrible. It's miserable. I hate it. I can't find any joy. I can't find any happiness in anything. Because work decides my mood. Uh, work causes you to do things that you would say are wrong. Not that I would say are wrong. That's not what I'm saying. That you would confessionally say, I'm not okay with that. So a few examples. Um, if you just said, hypothetically, oh, I'm not okay with gossiping, 
But I mean, when your coworker's talking about how much of a jerk your boss is, you don't want to be the weird guy or weird girl that's like, I don't want to talk about someone behind their back, you know, that's not really cool. You just, yeah, he is kind of a jerk, right? Or like if your coworkers go out and have too much to drink, even though you think it might be wrong to get drunk, I don't want to be the weird Christian that doesn't, doesn't drink too much. What's the big deal? Uh, or an easy one is, it's definitely wrong to lie. Absolutely. Of course. We all agree with that. But sometimes it's just easier, right? Like, yeah, and I, I can't make it into that appointment. I got to keep working remote. Those white lies that creep in. So if work causes you to do things that you say are wrong, that might be an indicator that it's become your God. You can't put work down. So a guy in my community group recently kind of called me out on this. It was a lot of fun, really enjoyable. Um, so I'm in real estate. So what that means is I need to answer things quickly. Most people, when they're buying a house, they don't really care about my schedule. It's not important to them. They want quick answers. They want me to get back to them fast. So in group, I have my phone on me because why wouldn't I? I need to be able to get back to them fast. And so I was having breakfast with a friend of mine, and I was asking him about our group. I said, hey, you know, what do you like about our group? Is there anything you would change? Is there anything that I'm not doing well? He's like, actually, there's a few things that you're not doing well. I was like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I cried a little bit. We were fine. We moved on. Uh, and so he said, one thing I've noticed is you always have your phone on you, especially in Engage the Heart. And Engage the Heart is a time where we kind of talk about like deep stuff that's going on in our lives. We try to get more than surface level. We want to talk about what God's doing in our hearts. He goes, I've noticed that you'll answer texts or you'll walk out to take a phone call. And I'm not saying this is how you actually feel, but it kind of feels like you care more about making a sale than you do about what's going on in my heart. Which felt great. Uh, so I leave my phone in my car now. Not important. Uh, but if you can't put work down, that might be an indicator that work is your God. Uh, work is your primary decision maker. So, so all I mean by that is uh, you get offered a promotion in a new city, and you don't even think about things like, is this best for my family? Is this best for my church? Of course I would take the job. It's a better job. I want to climb the ladder. You don't even have other filters to ask about. And then finally, you're ashamed to tell people what you do for a living. So sometimes I'll, I'll see this in conversation. Uh, you ever talk to someone and they feel the need to justify why they're in the position that they're in? Right? Well, I work here, but it's because I'm in grad school. I'm, I'm waiting to start this, and I, I, like, I actually matter. You're ashamed of what you do. You don't answer that question. You want to get around it. This gets all of us in different ways. It looks different for different people, but all of us struggle with this idea of making work our God. Uh, even if you're someone who hates your job, let's say you hate your job. You're sitting here listening to me and you go, not a problem. Hate my job is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> you might hate your job because your job is not giving you the things you thought it should. Or your dream job is actually your God. Uh, it's entirely possible the reason why you hate your job is because you feel like you're meant for much bigger and better things. And how could I ever be faithful in fill in the blank? How could God ever want me to be here? How could that be the plan? 
That's a, a pattern I've noticed. Just in getting older, you have friends that get jobs, they move, it's just a normal part of life. And I've, I've had a few friends that have done this thing where they, they get a job, and they're there for a few weeks, and then it's terrible and they hate it, right? And so then they get a new job, and that job is awesome for three months, and then it's terrible and they hate it, and rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat. And maybe, maybe in four years, you just had seven terrible jobs. Maybe it's not about the job, though, right? Maybe you're not discontent because your job is terrible. Maybe it's about you. Maybe it's your heart. It's just a question for us to ask ourselves. So when you think about, when you're looking for your job to give you joy, then that's never going to satisfy because God is supposed to be what brings you joy. When you're looking for your job to give you meaning, that's never going to work because God is the one that's supposed to bring you meaning. If you're looking for your job to bring you peace, it's never going to work because God is the one that's supposed to give you peace. When work becomes God, we look to it to provide what God has promised to provide. Right? So when work becomes God, we look to it to provide what God has promised to provide and what God only can provide. So we worship work. How we do it is, you know, okay, we decide we put these things more important than God. But then the next question is why? Why do we worship work? Why is work such an easy thing to latch on to? And I think there are a lot of reasons. Like I talked about with the water, I think part of it is that's just what we've been taught. We've genuinely been discipled to put our identity into our jobs. And so we do. I, I think it just feels good to be good at something. Maybe this is just me, a unique feeling. But um, when you're good at a job, you want to make it your identity because you're good at it. And people tell you you're good at it. I mean, so like, I remember, silly thing, but I remember my freshman year in college, I grew a beard over Christmas break. And I mean, everyone I met was like, you look good in a beard look great. Best you've ever looked. Which, you know, a little bit insulting. That's not important. Um, so I wasn't planning to keep a beard. Haven't shaved since, right? Because why would you? It feels so good. It feels so good. So I think there are a lot of reasons. But ultimately, I think one of the major reasons we worship our work is because we're anxious. We're anxious, and work can provide a level of security and identity. But the problem is, the problem is when we look to work to offer that, it actually creates more anxiety in the long run. It's a temporary fix. It doesn't work long term. So Jesus hits on this in Matthew 6. So go to verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he, not more, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? 
So Jesus is connecting our anxiety in our work. And the reason why he's doing that is because he knows we are going to run to work, we're going to run to success for our identity. He knows it's going to be a regular thing. And so what we do in our anxiety and our failures, we run to our job, we run to work to satisfy us. So the way this might look is once I get the raise, once I get the raise, I can slow down right? Because then we'll have enough money, we'll be able to send our kid to the good school, we'll be able to get the hot tub, whatever the thing is. Once we get out of this season of our job, this season's just crazy. And once this season is over, the season that has lasted three years, then I will be able to focus. Then I'll be able to take the foot off the gas. Once I get the dream job, Cole, I'm, I'm right there. I'm going to get the dream job, and then work will satisfy. And over and over again, we believe, we look to work to fill a void that only God could fill. So uh, This is how this looks in my life. I feel an extraordinary amount of pressure to provide. An extraordinary amount of pressure. And some of that I think is good, right? Like I, I think you can say there's some good biblical masculinity there. You want to provide. You want to care about your family. And not just financially provide, right? Emotionally provide, physically provide. But all of it, there's some good in there. But I'm past good. Like, I can obsess about it. It's so easy if I'm not careful for me to just spin my wheels and think through, okay, what if this happens? Then are we, what are we going to, let me have the 98 plans with this one check so that I know we're going to be okay. Uh, a conversation that Bethany and I have is often, that is a sinful thing for me is, well, I want to give more. Yeah, but right now, if we invest our money, then it will be worth more than it ever is. So if we invest our money now, then we'll be able to give more later, which is not a bad thing. There is a level of wisdom, but is that really why? Or am I looking to money? Am I looking to success to offer security? And the funny thing is, my diagnosis is actually correct. My diagnosis of I'm not enough, this isn't working, I need something to fill this, is correct. I'm not. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I'm never going to be able to do what I need to do. But the problem is that work is never going to work. See, because when I look at my job to provide security, when it doesn't, when it doesn't provide security, what happens is I think I need to work more. I'm obviously doing something wrong. This is supposed to be the answer to my question. This is supposed to be what is going to give me financial security. So I need to work harder. I need to invest more. I need to read more. I need to think more. And it makes me double down. When I think work is supposed to give me identity, it makes me double down. I need to be better at my job. If I just was better at my job, if I just got the next promotion, if I just did that, then I would feel happy. Then I would be secure. And it's the wrong answer to the right question. So Jesus, what he's doing is, he's coming alongside us and saying, I am the answer to the question. I am the answer to the question. Uh, your job was never supposed to be the thing that gave you identity in the first place. I have purchased you with my blood. I have invited you in to my family. We talked about how we are an heir in Christ now. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer bonded to sin. We are heirs of Christ in him. That is our identity. What lunacy is it that a job could be that? A job is so much less important than being an heir, being a son of Christ. Jesus comes along and says, I'm supposed to be your security. 
not a job. I've provided for you your whole life. I've always been there. I've always been enough. I've always answered that question. Look at the lilies. Look at the birds. They've always been provided for. Not a job. I'm providing for you through the job. You don't have to worry about it. I've got you. It's all in God's hands. The one who created us and formed us. And so we've got to ask the question, why do we have such little faith? Why do we have such little faith? Why do we keep working and striving and thinking that if we do this, we're going to be enough, that we're going to try and prove something to ourselves? I was talking to um, a guy in my community group, and we were just talking about this sermon and this series and something that he said, I mean, it was super convicting for me. He said, the last year has been really, really hard. And I am tempted to believe that God is not going to provide. But when I look back, he always says, he's never not provided. Even though when I'm looking at it, it's like, that's crazy. How did that happen? So I, I think asking the question, asking ourselves, why would God stop providing now? He's always done it for everyone, always, so why would he stop now? God gives us everything we looked for work to provide. He gives us everything that we're running to our work idol to fill. See, what happens is when we get to, when we trust God, we get to put work in its proper place, right? So work gets to be a gift, not a God. Work gets to be good, but not ultimate. Work gets to be a way we partner with God, but not a way we try to be God. Work becomes a thing where ultimately our work is about Jesus, about glorifying with Him, and about partnering with Him in our workplace, in our lives, day to day. At the end of the Derek Thompson article about workism, he has a quote, and I mean, it's just dynamite, like it's killer. I, I, I can't get out of my head. He said, our desks were never meant to be our altars. I love that. Our deaths were never meant to be our altars. Uh, work was never meant to hold your identity, your emotions, your frustrations, your goals, your dreams. It was never supposed to be the answer to those things. It was supposed to be a good gift. But only God is worthy of our worship. So when we try and put something else into that category, it's going to fail over and over and over again. So what does that mean, right? Like, okay, we worship work. Okay, this is how we do it. This is why we do it. But tomorrow when I'm driving to my job where I have to do a good enough job to get paid to pay my bills, what does it mean to actually not put my identity in my work? In an actual life scenario where I can't just be like, well, my identity's in God, so who cares if I do a good job here? Well, I'm going to get fired. That's why. Um, so what does it look like? So about... Two years ago, I was moving to Charlotte with this church plant called Citizens. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, and I was moving to Charlotte and talking to Tim and felt like, okay, we're supposed to be here. We're supposed to move. And it was a really difficult time for me in good ways and hard ways because I had been working in ministry for about five years. I worked at a college ministry. It was really good. Uh, I felt like I'd been affirmed in it. I felt like it was like, you should do ministry. Thank you. Um, but I knew that moving to Charlotte, at least for a while, probably wasn't going to be able to make a paycheck 
doing ministry. Church plants are not the highest paying jobs. So there was this really weird mix of, I feel like I've been called to ministry, whatever that means, but I also feel like I've been called to Charlotte, where I probably will not be able to get a paycheck from ministry, at least not enough to be able to cover basic necessities. So I talked to some people about it, and I decided to buy a Pelican Snowballs, because it was the only logical thing to do. No, but seriously, the reason why I did it is because most of my life, people have thrown out this word entrepreneurial, which is a buzzword, and I don't know what it means. Um, entrepreneurial, and so I was like, well, let's buy a business. Let's see if it goes terribly. Um, and it didn't. It went okay. Uh, and, and I honestly, I really enjoyed it. I don't know that I want to sell shaved ice for the rest of my life, but I really enjoyed it, and I realized I really like entrepreneurship. And so started reading a lot about it, started doing research about it, ended up falling into real estate, which I also really enjoy. I've just liked being able to get to help people make financial decisions. It's been cool. But there's just this, this struggle that I've been dealing with, kind of with this in-between of, okay, but I've been putting a lot of my identity in my nine to five, and I think I was supposed to do this, but now I'm doing this, and now I want to put my identity in this, but I still feel like I... You get it. It's complicated. And so... As I've been thinking about this web of the last year and a half, here are kind of four things that I've noticed that I need to remember about my job, to remember about my work, especially for those of us who lean in this live-to-work ideology. We, we want to find our identity in our work. Number one, know you will be tempted. Know you will be tempted. So what I mean by that is... If you live to work, you're always going to want to justify your work. You're always going to say there's a good reason. So when I worked at a church, my reason was I'm doing God's work. Easy justification. Super easy. Um, and then when I got a business, my justification was, well, I want to be able to make enough money to provide for my family and then give back. Neither of those are bad things. They're just lies. That's not why I was doing it. I was doing it because I like to be important. I like to matter. I like to be good at my job. I like people to say, that's a really nice beard. Um, so know, no matter what you do, no matter why you're doing it, if your bend is live to work, you will always feel this temptation to justify it, to justify, this is why it's okay for me to do this. And in Charlotte culture, nobody's going to call you on it, ever. Nobody's going to say on a Wednesday night when you skip community group for the third time, Hey, you've, you've been working late every Wednesday. Nobody's going to care. Your boss is going to be like, that's awesome. Good job. Good work. Keep doing it. If they say anything. Nobody's going to say anything about picking up a phone during community group unless you have a community group guy who tears you apart. Um, <laughs> hypothetically. So you've got to know. You've got to know that that's going to be a temptation for you. You've got to take steps around it. You've got to be talking about that. That's probably going to have to be a thing that you invite people into. You tell them to push you on. Not that they're going to push on without it. No, you will be tempted. Number two, you need a Sabbath. You need a Sabbath. So we preached on this in Rhythms and Formations, uh, and we're even doing a Saturday seminar because of how much we loved that series. Uh, so go listen to the series. But the reason God created the Sabbath was to remind his people that they were not in control, 
that God was sovereign, that he actually had been taking care of them long before they were there and then long after they would be there. And so the Sabbath is not just a weird thing that Christians do. It is a weekly discipline for you to put your work down and say, I know that God's going to provide. I know he's going to work it out. I don't know how, but I'm going to work hard for six days, and then on the seventh day, I'm going to rest. This may practically look different for you for your stage of life. It doesn't have to be a Saturday, but I really do encourage you to pick a day or to pick something where you can intentionally rest and be with God and remember that your work is not what defines you, that being a child of God is what defines you. And one day, no one will remember the work that you did. But they will always, it will always be relevant that you are a child of God. For the rest of eternity, we will be together praising Him. I don't know how important it's going to be that you are awesome at sorting spreadsheets. That's not me saying that it didn't matter. It's saying that there's an eternal thing that matters more. So don't mishear me. I'm not trying to belittle what you do. I'm trying to say it is not the priority. God is. God is the priority. Number three, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Let's go back to Matthew 6. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added onto you. So we as people were created to seek first the kingdom of God, which means as a Christian, your priority is not your job. It is the kingdom of God. It is the expansion of God's kingdom. And there is so much freedom in that. There really is. What that means is you get to have a totally new lens for your job. Because you don't do your job for your identity. You've already been given your identity. You do your job for the expansion of God's kingdom. You just get to be faithful. You just get to do your best. I mean, Paul literally talks about this. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. And so you're not good at your job because you want to be good at your job. You're good at your job because you want to glorify God. And that, what that does, is it actually frees you up to be able to look around and see that God has put you in a specific place at a specific time for a specific reason. So some of you have coworkers that don't know Jesus and you've never talked to them about it. Because you care more about your job performance than them loving Jesus. And so what Jesus is going to say is, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Know that he is enough. Know that he's going to provide. That doesn't mean don't do a bad job. That doesn't mean don't do your job. But it means it is not the most important thing to you. It is not your priority. When you seek first the kingdom of God, you begin to realize you are not first and foremost your job. You're first and foremost a follower of Jesus. And the number four, your identity is secure. Your identity is secure. So you have been purchased with the blood of God. If you are a Christian, if you are a son of God, then you have been purchased. You have been invited in to the wedding feast. Nothing else will ever be more important about you. Nothing. It your job is a part of you, but it is not all of you. It's not even close. It's not even the main part of you. The main part of you is that you have been invited into God, that you are the child of the God of the universe, that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made, and that he is using you for the expansion of his kingdom. And there's 
That is such a better way. God invites us in a better way to remember that work is a good gift, but He is the only thing worthy of our praise. And your identity is not on trial. Jesus already did it. He already paid the price. There's nothing else to do. So those are the four. Know you'll be tempted. You need a Sabbath. Seek first the kingdom of God and your identity is secure. I, one of the reasons I, we wanted to do this work series is because for most of us, work is going to be a pretty big part of our lives. And I so want to be a part of the church. I so want our people to understand it's something I pray about regularly. That you are missionaries every day of your life. And that God may not have sent you to India, but He did send you to the classroom or to the corporate job at Bank of America or to fill in the blank. And that you can make life-lasting change and God can use you there. And there, that is not less than or worse or it is a beautiful gift and expansion of God's grace. And that is how people getting that, that is how people come to know God, by people like us who work normal jobs, by people like us who are living in a city who say, my priority is not my job. My priority is not my family. My priority is not fill in the blank. It is the kingdom of God. That is what is compelling to people. That is what shows them that God is worth the sacrifice. Let's pray. Hey God, thanks that you are good and that you have, you have provided for us that you are better than work could ever be. Thank you that we don't have to perform, that we don't have to be good enough, better than, fill in the blank, because you've already did it. You died on a cross. You took all of our sins. You knew every way that we would fail you, and you loved us anyways. Thanks that you are working in us if we're believers, that you're drawing us to yourself, that we know that we don't have to labor in vain because you are working alongside us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.